Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Double Chili Islanders podcast. I'm Peter Schwartz. Thanks for joining us. You can download and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts and also at Spotify Podcasts. Well, the Islanders have reached the All-Star break. They're on their bye week, and they head into the break out of a playoff position at this point with 20 wins, 17 losses, and 12 losses in either overtime or a shootout, 52 points, placing them on the outside looking in. And as the Islanders try to get healthier and just feel better about themselves with the coaching change and the way that they've kind of stumbled over the uh, the last couple of weeks. Good time to get a temperature of where the Islanders are at. And for that, we bring in the outstanding hockey writer for the Associated Press, Alan Krita. Alan, it's Peter. Thanks for joining me. Sure. Happy to. You're welcome. Glad to be here. All of those. Uh, uh, a lot has gone on in the first half of the season with the Islanders. You know, there was a point where they got off to a, a rough start. They got hot, uh, got themselves solidified in a playoff spot. Then came a bit of a tailspin. It leads to a coaching change. If you could kind of sum up the Islanders at the All-Star break, how would you sum them up? To me, they worked very hard as best they could with what they had in the system they were trying to play for a coach where maybe it wasn't quite connecting often enough. I think Lane Lambert, well-intentioned, the team respected him. He was post-Barry Trotz, so there were elements the Barry Trotz era that I, I think everyone was trying to maintain. But for whatever reason, even though they made the run last year in the second half, squeaked into the playoffs, uh, played hard again, something just wasn't connecting often enough this year. The, wasted leads late in games, squandering points, all these losses in overtime and shootouts have added up. If they had just stayed close and not done that in half of those games, they'd be right up at the top near the Rangers in Carolina. So something, a disconnect, a disconnect of some portion leading, of course, to the grand coaching change on January 20th, the surprise hiring of Patrick Waugh of all people, but not surprising if you consider Lou Lamorella's track record of mm-hmm. doing the unexpected. Therefore, it's completely expected yeah. uh, uh, some, somehow, too. And it, it definitely has shaken them up. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing hard for him right off the bat. He's, he's come with energy. He was all over the bench that first game. If he had a step counter, it was breaking some records for in-game <laughs> step use and... Uh, he he has his own backstory of wanting to get back in, wanting to prove something again behind the bench in the NHL. So I, I think it's it's a good marriage of intention and potential and hard work to be done. Whether it solidifies a playoff spot this year or or just leads into next year from the start, I think that they have a run in them. They 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 essentially have the same lineup they did last spring, minus maybe Zach Parisi and what he brought, but. That the parts are there. It's just a matter of can they sustain it for these last 33 games. It's not. It's much less now than a half, and it's not like the entire division is just going to go flat. They, mm-hmm. That was already happening leading into the break. The Flyers lost five in a row. Pittsburgh and Washington up and down. The Devils inconsistent. So the, it, there's room there. The question is, can they take advantage of it? Can they catch the Flyers? Can they? get up to third place or stick in a wild card spot. I, I think the work ethic will certainly be there. Can they get the results? We'll see. 
and, and I, I think as, as much as everybody was, like as you said, surprised by Patrick Waugh's hiring, you know, Lou has done these crazy things in the past, you know, with especially with the Devils, and and they bring in Juan. Let's be honest, as, as you mentioned this, with as much pacing as he's done and and interacting with the players, he is a fiery guy. He is a winner. He knows what it's like to win a Stanley Cup. He had some success with Colorado behind the bench, won a Jack Adams Award. So I think this definitely got the Islanders players' attention because, as you said, they've worked hard. Now the question is, can he get everything he wants implemented in the time that he has here in the second half and get the Islanders on the right path? Well, I'm I'm sure he will motivate the goaltenders, and not that they need motivation. They have certainly not been the problem, but Ilya Sorokin, elite. Simeon Rolamov has experience with Patrick Waugh that the tandem is there. Uh, the big the big variable is how will the defense in front of them play the rest of the year. I think the team's really missing Ryan Pulak, uh, injured. Uh, Adam Pellich now injured again. Uh, Scott Mayfield, you know, maybe not having his best year, but tr- trying hard. And rookies, young guys like Samuel Bullock, they can't. They can't quite do it with this group, I think. There's, there's missing elements on the blue line, and that that is something Patrick Waugh will at least try motivationally-wise. They need something more there. I, I don't think it's, again, a matter of effort. I just think it's a matter of size and talent, and they're missing key guys who are such big parts of their playoff runs over the last decade. And Ryan Pulak in particular, mm-hmm. his absence, his, his, his play on the power play, I don't even consider the points total the big key. He's just solid defensively. Everyone remembers that fabulous play to save the playoff game against Tampa Bay. I mean, uh-huh. he does stuff like that, and and he's a presence. And they, they really miss him. And Adam Pellich, unfortunately, with injuries, and now this latest one, probably another concussion after that Brendan Gallagher high hit. Yeah, They, they miss that. So this is, this is, I think, their Achilles heel right now. I don't... Just don't know where, where they will they pull someone from Bridgeport. Will they make some more moves? I'm sure Lou is conjuring subtle trades. I don't know about a blockbuster like last year for Bo Horvat, but something's got to be coming to solidify and improve the defense. But I think Patrick Roy, he's got a plan. He's he's going to bring it mm-hmm. every practice. Those guys are not taking any games off for the rest of the season. They they're going to be accountable for everything, and and I'm sure at some point, even though he's new. You know, the burst of anger won't be far behind if they're not playing the way he thinks they should. We've seen it. We've seen it from him as a player, as a coach. Uh, He's a goalie, so you never quite know what may may come next. But he certainly wants to win. He he talked about wanting to be back in the game. I think this is a personal mission he is on to prove some naysayers wrong. And here's a guy with four Stanley Cups as a player, Hall of Famer. He's a legend across Canada, certainly in Montreal, but here he is on Long Island talking like, this is my home now, I'm going to win here, we're going to bring it, and I, I believe it. He's he would not be shy, and I think it's neat that there's someone with that much passion and fire behind the bench because they, they the Island has found something, and the Islander fan base found something with Barry Trotz that was a, a new and unique experience, mm-hmm. and there's something about the coach that leads them, drives them, that they ha- now have again. Uh, he just needs some time mm-hmm. to develop rapport and, and just get the most out of these guys with his systems. 
We're talking to Alan Krita, hockey writer for the Associated Press here on the Double Chili Islanders podcast as the Islanders head into the All-Star break on their bye week with 52 points. And uh, I, I would think that uh, Islanders' ownership also had to be happy with this move and in, in, in bringing in a big name like Patrick Waugh to be the head coach. You know, UBS Arena in their third season, there was starting... Uh, to be some empty seats, you know, early this season, and and now there seems to be a reinvigoration of of the fan base. The last you know few games have had, if not sellouts, close to sellouts, and you know they've got the retail village that's going up across the street. That's very important to Scott Malkin and John Ledecky and company. They'd like to be able to bring an NHL draft here. They'd like to be able to bring the All Star game here, and certainly somewhere down the road they want to bring uh, a deep run into the Stanley Cup, you know, playoffs. Uh, to UBS Arena. So th- this has to be, while it's disappointing where they are in the standings, the last couple of weeks has to be reinvigorating to the franchise with, with the big move and bringing in Patrick Waugh. Oh, no question. It's a name. It's a big name. It also gives Lou Lamorello yet another hire of, of note, and, and that links them now going forward. So Lou not going anywhere. Patrick Waugh, I'm sure, will bring in assistance either shortly or definitely in the offseason so that the bench are a few more of his guys, whether they're ex-Canadian teammates or others from his long hockey life. I, he will bring similar mindsets, I'm sure, to to the system he wants to implement. So I think Perhaps a lot of the Islanders may have to brush up on their French a little <laughs> extra because he will uh, go on both languages. But it, it's just very, it's neat. It's neat for the game. The legends are legends. They bring crowds in. Even, I mean, watching the game, his first game against Dallas, watching the bench was part of the night. And how often do you do that yeah. at a hockey game? So what's he going to do now? Will he throw something? Like, what's what's going to happen? He was so animated. I think even he realized he can't keep that pace up game after game. But you can see where he's at right off the bat. And he's uh-huh. learning on the fly. can't be easy for any coach with any team midseason. These are still human beings trying to figure out a new teacher, basically. We know how that would be in high mm-hmm. school if your <laughs> teacher left mid midway. It, it takes time. So... He's got 33 games. Uh, he's got a lot of intra-divisional, intra-conference, four-point games all over the place. They haven't even played the Rangers yet, so those games now line up in even bigger form. So I think it's all right there. It's not that many points. You just can't keep squandering as they have been. They have to win six out of every eight. They have to win ten out of every 12, that kind of thing to to get up into a playoff spot. But certainly the big name, right, the ownership wants people to come out to the games, come out to the arena mm-hmm. area on non-game days too. They want it to be a destination. That takes time, but a winning team obviously is the the main item. You need to draw people out into the traffic, into the Long Island versus New York City a game experience. But I think once fans get there, they've all seen how neat it is. It's a it's a beautiful arena, obviously. It's new and modern and clean, but you have to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, winning is everything. You can't expect people to spend a lot of money for mediocre. And 
everyone knows that. So no question. I certainly don't have a mediocre coach at this <laughs> point now. And I don't. I think Lane Lambert was a perfectly good person and did the best he could. But I don't know if it was personality-wise, systems, something doesn't quite bringing him up to the level. And after that disastrous four-game road trip right before the coaching change, it was pretty obvious they weren't buying in at a necessary level. You know, um, I don't want to make too much about the All Star Game because it is what it is. It's an exhibition, but I've, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the press box about you know Islanders history, and 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 we've talked about the All Star Game a lot, you know, off the air privately. Um, I don't like the All Star Game format. I wish they would go back to uh, you know the East versus West, or as you and I also remember Campbell versus Wales. And and I think the Islanders, even though they're out of the of a playoff spot, I think they're deserving of having three players in the All Star Game this year. Matt Barzell is going to go to Toronto this weekend as the lone representative for the Islanders, but certainly Bo Horvat and Noah Dobson are deserving of going to an All Star Game. And I just you know, you know we, maybe it's just me being you know uh, you know older, but I I wish the All Star Game would go back to the way it was because I think it would be uh, better to have the conference versus conference. And you know, selfishly. I'd like to see more than one Islander going to the All-Star game. Well, we certainly can't argue with Noah Dobson being worthy of inclusion if they're going to go by who's having great seasons. I mean, the the farce of a player from every team and these nonsensical choosing up sides. It's, to me, it's an unwatchable, goofy day, a game, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Nobody remembers who won what 12 minutes after it's all over. Uh, I mean, it's fun. Nobody, of course, nobody wants anyone to get hurt. But it was so much better in the 80s, 70s when there were real games. They yeah. played real games. And nobody really, I didn't hear complaints about lack of hitting. And, and the games were on 11-7. They were 5-3 or 7-4. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll always, Alan, I'll always remember, and, and I know we've talked about this, but, you know, growing up and going to a lot of Islander games, I remember my uncle taking me to the All-Star game at Nassau Coliseum, and I'll always remember that game for Wayne Gretzky scoring four goals in one period. I was, I covered an All-Star game, um, in, in Boston where Ray Bork scored, you know, late in the game. I mean, to, to, to have his team win. So I, you know, there have been exciting moments. I remember Mike Bossy and Brian Trottier connecting, uh, uh, for a game winning goal in overtime. I think, I think that game might have been, um, in Hartford back in the day. So I, I just, I just wish they would, they would go back and maybe by the time UBS Arena gets the all-star game, we'll have a real hockey game and not the, the parody that it is now. Those games were fun. I mean, it was fun to see teammates as all-stars, and it was also fun to see players' opponents as teammates for one night of the novelty of way back in the day. If you'd see an Islander and a Ranger on the same line, that was cool. So it, now it's, I don't know, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Like, the shootout's a gimmick. It's a gimmick even, like, three-on-three overtime is a gimmick. Like, I, I'm old school bring back ties, bring back things that made the game <laughs> what it was through decades before anyone really complained or had to have a quote yeah. winner. See, this this podcast, it. Alan, is starting to sound like a conversation you and I have had yeah. in the press box. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> uh, I think the All-Star concept is fun and great. I mean, honestly, I, I, I'd rather watch the skills competition yes. than the game itself because there you, you're at least seeing things you don't see on the ice during the games. They're personality of players can come out a bit. I mean, if you want to have fun, just have 
three days of skills competition. Right. No one's getting hurt in those, and then they don't have to go through the fiasco of a silly game yeah. or games or whatever they call the round robin. <laughs> it's I mean, stupid. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll play two on two next time, or maybe just make the whole thing a shootout. I mean, yeah. Like, where does it end? No, it's silly. It's, it's silliness, and uh, no one knows. Like I said, twelve minutes after it's over, you have to remember who won. I know. I know. So that's not a great. Sign. But you you but, mentioned the word you mentioned the word gimmick, and you know people still refer to the outdoor games as a gimmick. I don't. I absolutely love it. I think it was the it's it's one of the things that the NHL came up with that is a huge hit. I love it. I've been to a few of them. And I'm looking forward to going with my kids on February 18th when the Islanders play the Rangers in the stadium series at, at MetLife Stadium. And uh, that's you mentioned before how like the Islanders and Rangers haven't played yet this season. That will be the first time that they play against each other this year. And I'm excited about it. I think it's it's great for the sport to bring hockey back to its roots. And um, you know, we've talked about this you know many times before. I think it's one of the great things that the NHL does these outdoor games, the Winter Classic, the Heritage Classic, the Stadium Series. How excited are you for the upcoming you know two games at MetLife? It'll be the Flyers and Devils first on Saturday, February 17th, and then the Islanders and Rangers Sunday afternoon, February 18th. Are you are you pumped up for these two games? Totally, totally. I think this is a grand gesture mission that's worked probably beyond the dreams of how it started with that uh, snowy Pittsburgh-Buffalo game way back uh, 15 years, I believe, already. Yeah, It's tremendous. It's, it's fun. It brings in giant crowds. You have the partisanship of two local rivals against each other again. I remember the Yankee Stadium... The first game, we didn't know what to expect. The Rangers-Devils in the afternoon, the sun was moving around, so they had to delay the start so that the goalies could see. And then the first goal that was scored, suddenly you saw 12,000 or some odd fans at one end rising in unison to cheer for their team, and then the other team scored, and you saw 15,000 on this. It was great. Like <laughs> The energy of so many people freezing cold, mm -hmm. but uh, rising as one... Uh, multiple times uh, that was Rangers Devils. So you had a kind of quirky mix of fans, and then Rangers Islanders at night, probably the coldest. Experience oh, I, I'm ever. still I'm still thawing out ten years later. It was mind numbing. I'm pretty sure the beer was freezing on contact as it uh, <laughs> was poured. I don't know how fans tolerated it up upper deck. I really don't. Uh, I, I'll tell you what my son and I did. We we. We just went to the Yankees team store in between periods, and uh, they were kicking people out because you weren't allowed to just stand in there and warm up. So I said to my I said to my son Bradley, I said, "Go walk around, pick things up, call me over, show them to me, pretend like we're going to do some shopping." And and that's how we were able to stay in the team store in between periods. And uh, I'm hoping for a more you know season of unseasonably warm day. On February 18th, but that would be my plan also in between periods this time around. It's a good plan. It's a, it's a super fun experience <laughs> just being outside. I mean, that, that Yankee Stadium night game, the light, the colors, just seeing a rink in the middle of the infield, uh, Paul Cartier playing the organ for a hockey game on his baseball organ. It was a whole mix of worlds in the best possible way. Yeah. 
And I think, and I think MetLife Stadium is going to play well for this because they've had a number of these games in the football stadiums. And I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of MetLife Stadium. I thought the Jets and Giants could have done better, but I think the hockey will play well in that facility. I think so too. And I think the, the giantness of that crowd is something we haven't seen yet. There's been baseball stadiums now versus a football stadium. So to have 70, 80,000 people, if they can get it, is tremendous. And yes, it's one game. It's a game that counts. It's a game where the players surely want to have bragging rights because it's seen so widely. And I know just talking to players who were part of the previous games, they all remember it. Their families were there. Uh, wives, kids, parents, siblings, everyone was part of the skates. Uh, it was tremendous for all the teams. It was tremendous when the Rangers played the Sabres at City Field on another yeah. freezing cold. New Year's Day as mm-hmm. ice cold as you could get. So, yeah, memorable moments emerge on these on these days, on these game days, and I, I expect the same. So, as much as I think the Ulster game is ridiculous, these are a hit. These oh, are tremendous! A hit and keep them coming. We, we have a couple minutes left with Alan Creta, Associated Press hockey writer here on the Double Chili Islanders podcast. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the word legend, uh, you know, a few times during, during the interview, and there were a lot of legends back on Long Island this past weekend. The Islanders had alumni weekend where they welcomed back any Islander player that played in at least one game. And that was a commitment that John Ledecky and Scott Malkin had made when they took over ownership of the Islanders a few years back. They wanted to be able to reconnect with, uh, the, um, with, with the alumni, um, uh, that, and, and some of the alumni that, you know, was fractured from, uh, the franchise. You know, they, the first big one that came back was, um, was, was Pat, was, uh, was John Tonelli. And now they're trying to, uh, make amends with, uh, with Pat LaFontaine. And, uh, it was so wonderful to see, you know, all those guys back. And a lot of them participated in the alumni game against the, the Rangers on Sunday at Northwell. Um, how much did you enjoy alumni weekend seeing all those players back and, and the commitment now that the Islanders have to their alumni? Uh, more greatness, greatness in every way. Uh, the guys back at UBS, the legends, of course, Denny Potvin, Brian Trache, Bob Nystrom, to see them, Butch Goring doing the game. There they were, the cup, cup winning, four cup winning players again. Guys from the 80s, guys from the 90s, every decade. All enjoyed being there again. I know they enjoy seeing each other. Seeing Pat LaFontaine out on the ice as part of the opening face-off with fellow Hall of Famers, Pierre Turgeon now, part of that list, bridging generations. They were traded for each other. So that was... Yeah, that was kind of cool to see. That was kind of cool to see. Right back, the, the two of them, uh, of course, Denny Potvin again, uh, Hall of Famer. There they were. It is something about, there's a magic quality, as we know, to these players and what they mean to the to the franchise, what they mean to the history of the team. Impossible to look past it. Brian Trottier, you know, couldn't be happier coming back game after game that he gets to do that, interacting with the fans. Even though he won two more cups with Pittsburgh and one as a coach with the Avalanche, he's got seven rings. He's Crazy. an Islander. He'll always be an Islander in every way. He even played, he's the only one that played into the 90s, played until the 89-90 season, so he's been three decades as an Islander, the only one who can say that. So it's tremendous. And then he was there the next day with the 
coaching the Islander alumni against the Rangers alumni at, at Northwell. Tremendous to see both uniforms, both fan bases, good-naturedly rooting for each side. Uh, a very polite crowd for Rangers Islanders. I think everyone was <laughs> happy to see the legends. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist was in goal for most of the game. Adam Graves suiting up for the Rangers. I mean, how can you not like that? Either side, either fan base wants to see the other team and the Ranger Islander rivalry, the mystique, is something magical, as we all know. And what, of course, the new generation needs is a playoff series between these two teams. It hasn't happened in 30 years. Unbelievable. It hasn't happened with, with playoff tension of a high, high degree in 40 years, 1984. The Ken Morrow goal to end the Rangers, probably best team of the 80s. So the history between them is forever but the young generation it's we're just telling them about it they have to experience it to be part of it i think would be uh something huge for both fan bases uh, and that could happen this spring with an islander run it's yeah not that far off my kids my kids are tired of me talking about when the islanders won championships they want to see it for themselves and, and i appreciate the fact that they have learned a lot about Islanders history, and a lot of young fans have come to know a lot about Islanders history. And I, I, I know it was a, a while ago, but you had written a tremendous article about the Islanders dynasty for the Hockey News. And uh, if you could just you know, tell people how they can still look at that story, because I think I think a lot of Islander fans would love to see what you wrote about the dynasty. Sure, it's, it's online on the Hockey News site. It was a dynasty uh, piece in the playoff issue last spring, so I believe it's linkable uh, via the site. I could also probably post it on on a social media place. But it's a very it was really fun to uh, connect with a bunch of the sixteen Islanders that won four cups. Of course, they're so proud. You know, at the time mm-hmm. it was we won four. We almost won five, super disappointed. But now, looking at it through the prism of 40-plus years, well, no team is ever going to do that again. They won 19 straight series. Forget another a repeat. Uh, Tampa Bay managed to win 11 series and then completely ran out of gas in number 12. And that was amazing in and of itself, let yeah. alone 19 and four cups. What these players did together, it, it's not only stood the test of time, it's become more glamorous as, as a memory because it's, it's the last of something like that. So just the chance mm-hmm. to hear from them, I, I treated that piece as a chance to basically analyze Bob Nystrom's cup-winning goal in 1980 from as many perspectives as I could come up with. Who was on the bench? Who was on the ice that sort of didn't see it? Who was up in the booth that wasn't playing or who was what broadcaster saw from what I said. So everyone had a different perspective. Of course, Meister Mattinelli's perspective is the most um, meaningful and amazing, but they're in the blur of the moment. You know, the, the past, the puck goes in, the celebration, like yeah. all of it's blurry, but for, like Brian Trache and Ken Morrow got tied up uh, going over the boards. They, Brian Trache fell down, never really saw the celebration. He got swarmed by people. And, Nystrom said to him 20 minutes later, where have you been? You know, these funny stories about the moment you couldn't possibly have imagined watching the highlight of the goal, which we've all seen Mm -hmm. hundreds of times. So just to get them to recollect these moments 40-something years ago, the the effect of Al Arbor, of course, the father figure, 
you know, and, and, and losing some of their teammates has made it much more important mm -hmm. to keep the legacy alive. You know, Clark Gillies, Mike Bossy, John Potvin with a few months of each other mm -hmm. two years ago after Al Arbor. You know, this is part of life, but it's, it's shocking. Like the, the loss of these guys seem 20, they seem 28 forever. And, yep. and that's just how sports is. But they're all feeling it. Uh, they're all looking through, you know, looking at life now as late 60s, early 70s. I mean, it's like everybody else, the years go. But the chance to keep the, the legacy alive, I, I think, is meaningful for the fan base, mm -hmm. for the sports world. Dynasties, I always love dynasties. I know the salary cap, and they want new winners every year. I, I always thought dynasties were great. Yes. You have a champion until you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, have someone take out the champion, and then it really means something, not a new winner every year. And so Montreal Canadiens win four in a row. Islanders win four in a row. Edmonton won five out of seven. But as many of the Islanders from that era point out, they didn't even win three in a row. And that's right. Four. So what dynasty? They yep. were great, but they weren't. Were they really a dynasty? And, and not a lot of love lost between the Islanders and Oilers of that day. I think the rivalry was super intense because they met three times in four years. And the Oilers, of course, thought they had the Islanders in 83. And all that happened was a four-game sweep mm -hmm. where they allowed them six goals, which, which also, also was brought up. As That's still remarkable. I still series. can't believe I can't believe that they did that they were able to hold them to six goals in the four games. Six goals, not one goal by Wayne Gretzky. Billy Smith played as well as he's ever played. And, you know, and that series came after the... The, the highly contested one in 81 where the Oilers thought, oh, they're, they were going to take them out in year two. Of the, yeah. Nothing even close to it. So, yeah, they they had their wars. And, of course, 84 where they managed to win. But the schedule changed, the exhaustion yeah. factor. The Oilers were a year better. So many things played against the Islanders. You can't take anything away, of course, from mm -hmm. the Oilers. But they didn't win three. They certainly didn't win four. And... The Islander dynasty is, is, is a crystallized as this four-year period. And, and just like the Yankees almost won number five, yep. the Islanders almost won number five. And if they had done that, I mean, 20 series, and it uh, it would have been epic. But I, I don't think the, the guys are the guys are so proud of the 19 is what came across the most. Yeah. They loved Al Arbor, of course, and the 19 is even surmounts the four because it's, it's it's stretched into the fifth year they won right three more series hard series in 84 beating the rangers in five taking out washington again and then having to overcome montreal where they were down two nothing and that, that was no easy task against any of those teams so you know and they were on fumes by the end and then of course after splitting the first two at the coliseum they had those three straight in edmonton and that's where yeah, they just couldn't recover because it's, the schedule maker decided they were going to go two, three, two. So, yeah, you uncover a lot of uh, stories and bits of things that uh, still irk yeah. <laughs> uh, star athletes, and it's part of the fun in, in looking back. And, and anytime you can talk to players who won at that level, the stories they're endless, but they're meaningful because it, it's the highest level of achievement. It's 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 feelings and emotions that never leave you and championships are championships so it's the near, the near misses the winning it all sort of rolls together yeah. and uh it, it's, it's a treat to, to cover it and and you know talk to these players and these people 
uh, because they're so proud of what they did. 100%. Hey, uh, Alan, thank you so much for spending some time with me. We could talk for hours about the Islanders, yeah. but uh, we, have to, we have to end. But uh, Alan Krita, Associated Press Hockey Writer, you can follow him on X and uh, Twitter at uh, A Krita, K-R-E-D-A. Alan, my friend, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. Alan Krita for the Associated Press is my guest. I'm Peter Schwartz. You've been listening to the Double Chili Islanders podcast, available at Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and download, and we'll catch you again next time.